Hi folks, and welcome to episode three, The Romantic Era. I left the last episode by introducing Big Dog Beethoven, the bridge from the classical era to the Romantic era. Well, shit got real after Beethoven died. The Romantic era, which spanned the 19th century, was emotional, dramatic, and critically, programmatic. Now, programmatic music is all about telling stories through the compositions. It's the sort of music that, in my view, can blow the bloody doors off, or make you cry, or both, simultaneously. And if we were playing a game of Romantic-era top trumps, I reckon I'd put Wagner, Strauss, Mendelssohn, Tchaikovsky, Mahler, Brahms, Rachmaninoff, Dvorak, Elgar, and Rimsky-Korsakov in my top ten. And I'd have Debussy as my wild card, if that's a thing in top trumps. Romantic music was often inspired by or sought to evoke non-musical things like nature, literature, poetry or the arts. Indeed, you might be able to spot a piece of music as being romantic just from the title alone. For example, Saint-Saëns wrote The Carnival of the Animals, which has 14 movements dedicated to different creatures. Mussorgsky wrote Pictures at an Exhibition which contains a bunch of movements, each reflecting different pieces of art. And and Debussy wrote Prelude de l'après-midi d'une faune, a song literally about a baby deer spending an afternoon in the woods. Cute. I have laboured over which piece to play first in this episode, because it's my favourite era and there's too much good shit to do justice to. But because I'm a geography geek on the inside, I decided on Voltava by Smetner. Smetner was a Czech composer, And this composition describes, in Smetner's words, the course of a river, Voltava, starting from two small springs to the unification of both streams into a single current, the course of the Voltava through the woods and meadows, through landscapes where a farmer's wedding is celebrated, the round dance of the mermaids in the night's moonshine. On the nearby rocks loom proud castles, palaces and ruins. The Voltava swirls into the St. John's Rapids, then it widens and flows towards Prague, and then it majestically vanishes into the distance, ending at the river Elba.
Safe to say, the Romantic era often, though not always, did away with a lot of the structures we got used to in the Classical era. That piece was more structured on the course of a river than any formal A-B-A vibe from the last episode. And it moved further away from relying quite so much on arpeggios and introduced more dissonance, clashing notes, that are a little more uncomfortable to listen to, but they therefore convey a bit more of a beguiling emotion. To, to reach the peak emotion in drama, the sort required to really make your hair stand on end, romantic composers went big with brass and with percussion too. We're talking four to five trumpets, stacks of trombones, piles of French horns, and sat behind them, timpani, which are massive single circular drums right at the back of the orchestra, but also xylophones, celestas, gongs, cymbals, castanets, harps, bells, triangles, and chimes, like church bells, were added into the mix. This next piece does a pretty good job of popping the eyes out of your head, and it's also big on bassoon. In fact, I think I can hear a contra bassoon in the following recording, which would be a telltale sign it's a romantic era piece of music. Folks back then literally expanded the orchestra by doubling the size of the instrument itself and therefore enabling the instrument to access notes a couple of octaves down from the normal range. If you listen carefully, you'll also hear a bass trombone, which is the same concept. And on the flip side, a bit more piccolo action in this piece, making the flute a third of the size and therefore a couple of octaves higher too. The recording I've used here is a little bit quiet at the beginning and you might want to up the volume.
That was the fourth movement of Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. In this movement, he tries to depict the moment an artist tries to kill himself with a large dose of opium, but the result is a nightmarish hallucination. He dreams he has killed his beloved, and a crowd approaches, leading him to the guillotine where he is executed. This piece was described by some academics as the first trip in music. It's pretty spicy. Something that romantic composers often needed to tell their stories, like that mad one, were melodies or motifs or leitmotifs. And a leitmotif is a recurrent theme throughout a piece of music associated with a particular person, idea or situation. And so some people say you can tell the difference between the later romantic music and 20th century period that followed because it was still more melodic in the 19th century. Later down the line, composers really started to tear it all up and break all the rules, for example, by using rhythms in a way that made the time signatures indetectable and melodies impossible to follow or even remember. So for that reason, I personally find the 20th century a bit more difficult to listen to. So to finish this episode, here's a piece of music from the late 19th century. This is the first movement of Dvorak's Eighth Symphony. And for all my chat about blowing the bloody doors off, this was the piece of music that taught me to look for the beauty contained in the quieter moments of a piece of music. It makes the bit that knocks you for six a bit later on all the better. And it is that contrast in experience, that journey, that makes me love the Romantic period more than all others.
That's it for the third episode. See you next time for the final episode looking at the 20th century. Please uh, like, subscribe, um, but ideally don't share because I am too shy. <laughs>